Hey, we made it back from the one association trip. Man, that, that was a good time. There's a hurricane coming for us. And then uh, it saw our fervor and decided to go around us. And uh, we made it back. It was awesome being with the other churches there and just being encouraged and spending time together. And it was great spending time with uh, those from here that were able to come down. But man, it is so good to be home. It is so good to worship the King of Kings together. And uh, we're going to jump into a new series, and I honestly don't even know exactly what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm just going to figure it out as I go. Uh, but we're jumping into a series called Pass the Torch. Can I have my torch, Chris? Chris Hurley, everybody. I hope it doesn't light my Bible on fire. Move it. Do we have smoke alarms in here? <laughs> if you have asthma, I'm deeply sorry. You know, sometimes we think about uh, passages about discipleship. And we think about 2 Timothy 2.2, which says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And this idea, if I, if I was going to pass the torch, and they were going to pass the torch. Is everyone nervous right now? Yeah. Is everyone, everyone's a little nervous. Mike's nervous. It, it takes a, a lot to make Mike nervous. So I'm going to... It, it might rain in here. <laughs> everyone's like, safety, yes. Sometimes we get in a place where we're like, God, I have, to, I have to start my own fire. And we get frustrated because we don't know how to keep the fire going. Have you ever felt like you're in a season and you're, got, you're, like, you're looking back and you're like, God, where is the fire that I once had? Where did it go? You're like, I knew I once had it in my hand, but it seems to have gone away from me. And I don't know how to get it back. You ever feel that way? And what we do is, is we invent all these programs and we come up with these schedules and we, uh, we, we create these processes that are designed to help us get the fire back. But they never seem to really work in the way that we're hoping for them to. And today I want to talk a little bit about discipleship and specifically Letting the Lord disciple us. You know, discipleship is one of those words. Uh, do you know how many times it's in the Bible? Zero. It is in the Bible zero times. There are words that are close, but we never see this process of discipleship. I want to I make an argument for that in a second. And 
I don't want everyone to leave here saying, disciple making bad. Okay? That's, that's not the point. But I want you to think about these things because it leads us into a conclusion. So just hang on one second. In the Old Testament, we see the word Talmud. The plural of that would be Talmudim. Disciple or disciples. Used one time. We also see the word Lamud, which means you're learned or you're taught. Used six times. Then we get to the New Testament. We see the word Mathetes. Used 268 times. We see it 230 times in the gospel. 30 times in the book of Acts. And then we never see the word disciple again. We see the word matetuo, which is the closest word we have to discipleship. We see that used four times. We see it used in the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always until the end of the age. Matateu, or Matatuo. And it seems that there's, there's this, like, this congregating around the gospel for this word, disciple, 230 times. And I want to submit this premise to you. It's because it's never been about a program. It's always been about a person. It's never been about a process. So it's always been about the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel frustrated. You feel frustrated. You feel frustrated about where you're at with the Lord. You feel frustrated that you look at the fire that should be in your life and you notice that it's not really there anymore. You feel frustrated about the discipleship process that you feel like you're going through. And I would say you have to get back to the basics. You have to let the Lord disciple you once again. Because if that's where we start our foundation, that's what's going to give us a place where we can continue to grow. I want you to open up to Isaiah 62. I want to talk about being discipled by the Lord. How can we set ourselves up? What does discipleship by the Lord looks like? And this, I want this to be the foundation of this entire series. Yes, we're going to talk about personal discipleship, what that looks like, and all of the details in between, but I want to get back to the heart. I want to get back to the place where your love for the Lord is what builds your foundation for being discipled. Getting back to the place of being a student. Before we get there, I couldn't help myself, I have a graph. Yeah, Tracy. You know, we see in 1 John 2, 12 through 14, we see this concept of little children, young men, and older men. And did you know that in a Jewish, uh, first century Jewish elementary school, or they had a process of education? Did everyone know that? 
I'm just going to give you a little context because we're going to talk about a couple different things. But did you know that there's a very specific educational system uh, for someone growing up in Judaism that we would see during Jesus' time? Uh, one thing I learned is they are much, much smarter than I am at six years old. Here's stage one. Stage one. Uh, there's a Hebrew name, but uh, that's honestly not too important. Uh, the name represents house of the book. House of the book. You're in stage one. You are between six and ten years old. Six and ten. Your entire job in this stage was to memorize the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. You'd start you know, with the Shema and you'd memorize that. And then you'd begin at six years old to memorize the first five books. It's pretty cool. A rabbi, uh, when you'd come in, they'd put honey on your slate. And he would tell you out of Psalm 19.10 that the word of God is sweeter than honey. And you would taste the honey. And every time you would open the Torah and you'd start to memorize, you would know to yourself, this is sweeter than honey for my soul. Stage one. How many people at this point would not even make it to stage one? Okay. Just want to be clear. Stage two. Let's see what these 11-year-olds were learning. They're what we call junior hires. Uh, this was now you've graduated to the house of learning. You were between ages 11 and 14, and now you would memorize the Tanakh, the entire Old Testament. So first off, you had the first five books. Now you have the law, the writings, and the prophets, and you'd have it all memorized. Not only this, but you would memorize the Mishnah, the Gemara. You'd memorize the commentary on these things so that when someone would speak out something from a commentary, you knew exactly what they were talking about. How many people still at stage point zero 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 one? Okay. 11 to 14 years old. Stage three. Here we go. Stage three. The real deal. This was the house of study. This is where you were age 15 to age 30. At this point, you were to take on the rabbi's yoke. When we hear about a yoke, it's taking on the rabbi's way of life. And that's only if you had memorized the Torah and you have memorized the Tanakh. You'd move on to this stage. See, a lot of people would start out and they would memorize some of the Torah, but they weren't even the best in the class. Maybe they did the work, but they weren't the best. So their education ended right there. And they'd go on and they would take up the family trade. They'd begin to fish, they'd become carpenters, and they would move to whatever their family did, and their education process would be cut. But the best of the best of the best of the best would make it to stage three. And they would go into rabbi. I want to read this. It says, if you were smart enough and knew your scriptures well enough to make it this far, you were given the opportunity to go to a rabbi or a teacher to seek further education. The rabbi would ask all kinds of questions because he was trying to find out if you were good enough to be a student. He had to go through an interview. He wanted to know if you knew enough, but even more importantly, if you could be like him in all areas of your life. Everything. If he decided that he didn't think you could do it, then he would tell you to go back to the family business. It was very rare, but if he thought highly enough of you, he would become your teacher 
and it would be your goal to become like him in every way. You would agree to take on his beliefs and his interpretations of the scriptures. This was called the yoke, and would stay, uh, and he would say to you, come follow me. This was a huge privilege that was offered to very few people. The disciples' uh, job was to become like the rabbi in every way. If the rabbi was hurt and had a limp, you might even see his healthy disciples walking behind him in his footsteps with a limp. It would be said to such a student, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The disciples would follow the rabbi so closely that they would become covered with the dust of the rabbi. They would say, may you follow him so closely that the dust of his sandals covers you. You would take on my yoke, which we see Jesus say in Matthew eleven, thirty, where he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, it's crazy because you think about how Jesus responded to the Pharisees of his time. In Matthew twenty two twenty nine, where he says, you are wrong. He tells these Pharisees who have been through all these stages, you are wrong because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Think about all that they went through to get to this, to get to this place. They went through the program. They went through the studies. They went through the word. The problem was the word was still up here. It wasn't in here. They're trying to become their own fire. They're trying to pass on themselves something they created within themselves. And what we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 62 and chapter 50, that the Lord is the one who develops the fire inside of us. That when we get into this place where we're just trying to follow a program or a procedure, our flame is going to go out every single time. How are we going to pass the torch if we don't have the fire? The answer is we're not. Would the Lord light the fire in our hearts once again? Would he move everything out of the way and would he light the fire in our hearts once again? Are you a burning fire for the name of Jesus Christ? Are you a burning fire? Let's pick up Isaiah chapter 62. We're going to look at the foundation. For Zion's sake, it says, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. This is the foundation of who we are when we come into a relationship with Jesus. There's two call-outs in here. It says, to Zion, I will not be quiet. To Jerusalem, I will not be silent. And why does it say that? Why does it go over it twice? Because Zion is a representation for who we are spiritually. It is our identity. Did you know Zion means scorched earth? It means scorched earth because it's a picture of the sun shining directly on a single place and marking it for eternity. When you come into Christ, that's who you are. You have been marked. The sun has shone on you brightly. That's your identity. 
He says Zion because it's referring to the identity. And he says Jerusalem because it's referring to their function. Jerusalem was the city of peace. The city that destroys the authority of chaos. And you can see how that's who we are in the Lord. That our identity is one who is marked. One who is set apart. And our function is to destroy the authority of chaos. And the Lord says that I will not be silent on your behalf. That I will contend for you until her righteousness goes forth as brightness. The foundation of our flame, what we are supposed to pass on, is the Lord's contending, enduring, and transforming love. Did you know that he endures on your behalf? That he's willing to walk through the process of sanctification with you because he has said, you are mine. It's not us that goes and shines forth. It is the righteousness of God in us. He says, I'm willing to wait until that takes on full effect and I'm not going to be silent toward you. That even though you don't have it all together and the enemy is not going to try to attack you in this process, I am not going to be silent, but I'm going to speak up. Have you ever felt like you didn't have a voice in a situation and then someone speaks up on your behalf? Someone comes to your rescue and says, I don't care what you say, this is who they are. I don't care about what value you ascribe to this person. This is who I say they are. That's what the Lord's doing for his bride. That's what the Lord's doing for his people. Seeing this is where it starts. It starts with me. It starts with me. If you're here today and you're like, yeah, I had a fire once. I had something, I had a way of life that I was going to pass on before, but it seems to have died out. Get back to the place where it starts with who God is. Who God is. He says you are marked, that you are chosen, that you have a function for his kingdom, that your, your life isn't pointless. See, we can talk about who we are in Christ all the time, but if we don't understand who he is, we're still going to miss it. Do you want your fire back? Do you want your fire back? Who is the Lord? You know, I think about those stages that we saw. We saw stage one, stage two, stage three. And by stage one, they knew who God was through his word. They knew. They knew. This was foundational. I believe the Lord wants to bring us back to that place where we just enjoy who he is again. That we put aside all these programs that we try to build up in our own hearts. To say, God, look, look, look at what I'm doing. You must be pleased with me. And he's just saying, be with me once again. Just like it was at the beginning. It says in verse 2 of chapter 62, The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. I want you to just let this wash over you for a second. I just want to read through this whole thing. And I want you literally just to close your eyes right now. 
and let these words of the Lord wash over you. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem or turban in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you. The Lord delights in you. To yourself, I want you to say, the Lord delights in me. Come on. I know some of you didn't even say it because you feel ashamed from something in your life. Say, the Lord delights in me. The Lord delights in me. But what if I sin? What if I mess up? What if I'm not perfect? What if I... The Lord delights in me. It says, And your land shall be married, for as a young woman marries a young man, so shall your sons marry. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. He's rejoicing over you. You know, this is coming off the back of something we're going to see in a minute in, in Isaiah chapter 50 where God's people literally sold themselves into slavery. Say, listen, when you come, when you come back, when, when you decide to come back, this is how I feel. Don't let there be any confusion. Don't let there be any confusion. It says uh, in, in verse 2 of chapter 62, I want you to look there for a second. It says, and you shall be called by a new name. If you go down to verse 4, your land shall no more be termed desolate. There's this transformation process that begins to take place in the heart of God's people. What we see here in Isaiah, we see it's a picture of a city which represents God's people. Go to John chapter 1, verse 42. says in verse 41, excuse me, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him, Simon, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. See, Simon, it, it can mean a couple things. If you're going to look at Blue Letter Bible, it would probably say, uh, you've been heard and accepted. Simon, that's what it means. This is the biblical name, uh, Shimon, we see. And if you look through the Hebrew, Shimon it really has two meanings. It means heard and accepted, and it means wasteland. It means wasteland. If you're going to break down the letters in Paleo-Hebrew, these are the characters you would find. And this is for both, uh, for, for both 
Hebrew compositions of the name. You'd see the symbol for sharp teeth. You'd see the symbol of chaos and bloodiness. You'd see the word to watch, and you'd see the word air or continually or sun. You'd see all these letters making this picture of who Simon is. You think about a desolate wasteland that was just devoured and ruined and this chaotic land that was continually flowing. And it's interesting because when you go back to Isaiah 62, it says in verse 4, In your land shall be no more termed desolate. And you see from the mouth of the Lord, Jesus look at Peter and says, yes, your name was once, once a wasteland, but now it's a rock. You see, God doesn't want to call us out for who we were, but for who we prophetically could be. He's saying the wasteland that was once your life, or maybe if it were, we're going to go with hearing, of just hearing you know, from the Lord, you're hearing all these things, but you're not actually doing, I'm going to move you in, in from a spot of, of insecurity and of ineffectiveness to a place where you are going to be a rock. This is who you are. See, when we meet the Lord, he wants to transform us. He wants to transform us. This is the foundation. This is the foundation of what it looks like to be discipled by the Lord. His contending, enduring, and transforming love. That when we step foot in the kingdom, we become a crown that is on his head. We become this picture of royalty. We become this sign of authority. It's like, man, isn't it supposed to be the other way? Getting back to the foundation. If you feel in your heart that you have lost your fire, get to know your Father once again. Get to know Him once again. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 50. The beginning of Isaiah chapter 50 starts out with the Lord literally declaring, I haven't rejected you. He refers to divorce and he, he says, I, I haven't sent you away. And it says in, in verse 1 at the end, it says, Behold, for your iniquities you were sold. Which if you, you look at the KJV or the Hebrew, it literally means because of your sin you've sold yourself. But he's like, you're still not far too gone. And he goes into verse, at the end of verse 2, it says, Behold, by my rebuke I will dry up, dry up the sea, the Red Sea. Right? That's what it's referring to in Exodus 14, 21. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water. This is Exodus 7, 18. He dried up the Nile. I clothe the heavens with blackness and made, make sackcloth their covering. This is Exodus 10, 21, the plague of darkness in the heavens. And he's reminding them of everything I have delivered you from. I've already delivered you. My hand isn't too short. You're not too far gone from me. 
Remember, this is who I am. I am your deliverer. And that's the way he showed up this morning. Because he's trying to get the message across in this place that I am your deliverer. I will deliver you. When no one else will, I will. Because I've done it before. And I'll do it again. Not based on your own merit, but based on my goodness. Based on the identity that I have given you. Based on the function that I have called you to. I will deliver you once again. We start to see this flow in in verse 4 that we're going to look at. What I mean by flow is you're going to see where, where God makes a move. And then the servant, which this is referring to, makes a move. We see this displayed throughout the life of Christ. Everything we're going to read about, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. But we can look at these things and we can understand how the flow with God is supposed to work. Because so many times you say, well, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. And if I do all these things, hopefully that equals you'll do this. We come up with a system. And Lord, it's not, it's not a system, it's not a program, it's a flow, it's a relationship. I'm bringing you back to the place of relationship with me. I want you to try to watch this. I want you to try to see the transition between God and man in this. And, and it feels like it's a river flowing. The Lord God has given me, in verse 4, the tongue of those who are taught, the lemud. That's what it means, with the tongue of those who are taught. This is one of the, the six places we see uh, the word disciple, and it's not even really in here. So I think it starts with this gift of God. It's giving me a gift. And what is the gift? I'm receiving the knowledge and the ability to speak as one who is taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Isn't it crazy that at the end of the day, discipleship isn't even really about us? It's not even about us. It's what we can pass on to somebody else. That's why 2 Timothy says, and what you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also because it doesn't end with us. It's not about what stage we can make it to. It's about the lives that we can impact and the lives that we can build up in Jesus' name. That's what it's about. That I may know how to sustain with a word with a single word, those who are weary. You know, we could think in these, these terms of doing the right thing in these programs, and I know this, and I've done this. Well, how have you been at sustaining the weary? If you want to think and evaluate yourself according to anything, do it according to that. Doesn't matter how many hours you stayed up last night studying for whatever, how are you doing sustaining the weary? Because that's the first step we see. Okay, I feel the flow. He gave me a gift, so now I can sustain the weary. Morning by morning, He awakens me to hear as those who are taught. He wakes me up, and my job is to hear. He wakes you up, and your job is to hear from him. Lord, are you sure you, you don't, you don't, what do you want me to do? I want you to hear. 
No, God, but what do you want me to do? I feel like I, I have to do ministry right now. What is it that you want me to do? I'm a disciple. Should I get in the Word? He said, I want you to hear from me. I want you to pause. And I want you to hear from me. To hear as those who were taught, he says. The Lord God has opened my ear. This is referring to Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. It's not opening an ear in a hearing way. But it's, it's, it's that scene where we see a master driving an awl through a slave's ear. You guys remember that? I think Pastor Mike actually drove an awl through someone's ear during that message. Austin's here, and he's not even here. That's comic really. I know it's really heavy right now. So that's just, everyone take a deep breath. It didn't work, but it's okay. And it's this picture of driving an awl uh, through someone's ear, and the passage goes like this. If you love your master and your children and your wife, basically submit yourself to him, but it comes from this place of love. I have been so guilty of letting my submission to the Lord come from a place of duty instead of a place of love. Come from a place of obligation rather than coming from a place of love. And how the Lord responds when we say, God, I just want to stay with you. Lord, I just want to stay in your presence, God. I just want to stay where you are. And you say, I'll, I'll drive you all through your ear. I'll claim you as my own. I will mark you as my own, and yes, you can stay. He says, I was not rebellious. I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace or from spitting. See, there's a voluntary suffering that came with this. I want you to try to feel the flow. Okay, I wrote these words down to try to help you because it's a relationship. He equips me effectively. He speaks to me frequently. I submit to him willingly. And I suffer voluntarily. And it's this flow. Some of you need to get your flow back. You lost your flow. Somehow things got mixed up inside of your heart and you lost your flow. It's time to get your flow back. It's time to break off what needs to be broken off. It's time to get back to the place of your first love. It's time to start saying, God, I, I submit myself fully to you and not looking back. That, Lord, if you walk with a limp, I'll walk with a limp. Jesus, if you have dust on your sandals, I want to be wearing that dust because I'm following you so closely. Not because it looks good, not because I can tell my friends I'm doing it, but because I love you. What you do, do you do from a heart of love? 
do you do from a place of a deep desperation of saying, God, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to depart from you because I love you. The Lord wants to bring you back to that place. He wants to bring you to that place. The flow, we see the flow. We saw the foundation of God's contending, enduring, and transforming the love. The flow is a willingness carried by intimacy. Is your willingness carried by intimacy with God? Is it an obedience that starts to spring up out of the love you have toward the Lord? See, a lot of times we feel frustrated when we're being discipled or we feel frustrated that we're not at the places where we're supposed to be is because our foundation is weak and our flow has been cut off. It was never meant to be a program. It was always about a person. Well, you might ask, how do I know? How do I know if this is happening? How do I know if... if if I'm doing these things, we see in verse 7, we see the fruit of it. We see the fruit of the flow. Here we go. Verse 7. But the Lord God helps me. I'm helped. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. I am approved. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I am single-minded. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. I'm ready. Are you ready? see these things about we're being helped and we're being approved and we're single-minded and we're ready, that we're ready to face the opposition. See, I don't care who you are. Come to me. Let's do this thing right now. Well, how can he say that? How can you be in a place in your spirit where you can say that? Verse 9, behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Nobody. Behold, all of them who wear like a garment, the moth will eat them up. That's the fruit. This is the, this is the evidence of flowing with God. Are you single-mindedness? Are you single-minded when it comes to your direction in the kingdom? That yes, I'm going to serve God today. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to hear from Him today. I'm not going to waver. Do you have a sense of God helping you and not feeling like an orphan child? Do you have an affirmation from the Lord that He is helping you and fighting on your behalf? Because He approves of you because of how he's marked you. I want to talk about the frustration. And this is the thing I, I wanted to talk about the entire time. 
When these don't play out the way we see it in the word, we tend to be in a place where we just, we feel frustrated. Has anyone ever felt frustrated with where they are currently at with the Lord? That you've tried all these things, you can't stop fighting with your spouse, you seem to always go back to the, your same pattern of sin, and you just feel frustrated because we can get together with all these people on a Sunday or a Monday night and we can worship the Lord on a Tuesday and we can make these commitments in our heart but nothing seems to change. And you feel frustrated. Maybe you feel frustrated with the people who are discipling you. Shame, Chris, don't say anything. You just feel frustrated. And this is why. Behold, I'm starting verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. If you are walking in darkness, today is the day where you can choose to trust the Lord. Today is the day that you can put your faith in the name of Jesus Christ who took your place for your sin on the cross. And he promises to make you a new creation. He promises to set you apart as someone who is marked. He promises to come to your help. If you are walking in darkness and you know that this isn't the life that God has intended me to live, and you want to confess that Jesus is your Savior and you're choosing Him to follow, to follow Him as your rabbi, let today be the day. Let today be the day. You don't have to go back to the darkness. You don't have to go back. You can stay near the Lord. He'll put it all through your ear. He'll say, I claim you as my own. Don't go back. Don't go back. Verse 11 says, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. So it all sounds good so far, right? Take the torch in your hand. It sounds so just masculine and dutiful. And I'm going to just grab this thing and go, right? And like, yeah, Lord, what are you going to give me if I do that? Right? He says, you shall lie down in torment. Dang it. It's like, yeah, you can grab your own torch. You can try to do this thing in your own strength. You can light a fire that even looks like the rest of the fires burning around you. But if that's the foundation of what you are doing, you are going to be tormented. You are going to be filled with sorrow. You are going to be filled with frustration because you aren't trying to mimic the fire of all fires. If you feel frustrated, it's time to go back to your foundation. When it says in Isaiah 62 verse 1 that it's your salvation that is the fire burning in you. It has nothing to do with how you equip yourself. It has to do with what God has given you. The fire that he has placed inside of you. 
not something that you can earn or you can try to fake because that is just going to leave you in a place of torment. We are done faking it here. We are done faking it. We are done coming to a service where we can put on a smile and sing a little bit and go out unchanged. We are going to be a people who says, God, I am not going to leave where you are. Mark me. Put an all through my ear, Lord, because I'm not leaving. But when you do go, I'm going to be so close to you that I'm going to be covered in your dust. And I'm not going to give up. And I'm going to be single-minded. And I'm going to trust that because of the imputed righteousness of Christ that I have been made clean. And I'm going to walk forward accordingly. Let God disciple you. Go back to the basics. That's the main point of what he wants to say today. Let God disciple you. Let him deliver you. Time to go back to the basics. Time to go back to a place where it's an overflow of love inside of your heart that is driving you to do all these things. It's time to go back to the place where we can just feel like we're a kid again, sitting at our father's feet. It's time to go back to the place where we just feel raw and we feel vulnerable before the Lord and we begin to cry out because we know that he is there with us. It's time that we start to ignite faith once again in this place. It's time to get our flow back. It's time to get our flow back. So I want everyone just to stand up. The Lord desires to disciple you. Will you stay? Will you rip apart the programs and the systems that you have built up in order to keep yourself from having to be laid bare before your king? Don't replace the intimacy that, that he wants to have you with you with a program. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you're here today and you have a desire to not go back to the darkness anymore, that you want your life to be changed, that you want to submit your heart to the King of Kings and say, yes, God, I want, I want a new way of life. Don't leave here without getting that settled. Don't leave here without getting that settled. So I just want to pray for us. God, we want to follow you. God, we want to be where you are. God, I pray today that you would break down in our hearts the programs that we have set up. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would restore the joy of our salvation. God, that that would be the burning light in our lives. God, I pray right now for the person who says, this isn't me, that you would reveal to them that it is them. 
Lord, we just want to love you again. We want to love you from a place of purity, God. God, we want to praise you because you are our deliverer. God, we thank you for claiming us as your own. And so, Lord, would you just continue to do a work in this place? Would you continue to do a work in our hearts right now, God?